You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being here. Uh, Blessed to be able to have you on this Easter Sunday. You would join us. Uh, He is risen. Amen? Amen. That is why we're here. Uh, My name is Riz. I'm the pastor here at Reality. That is my nickname. You can talk to me during our party after if you want to know about it. But just want to say thank you for coming and um, just excited to be able to celebrate our Lord's resurrection. And we're going to have service, but if you didn't know, as you saw, there's going to be like a real big fun party afterwards. Amazing food and meal, and it looks like a banquet table out there. The gals did amazing. Um, And then your kids have so many Otter Pops to eat. We really want them to eat and jump on bouncer, bounce houses, and so uh, please join us for that. If you do need to use the restroom and you don't know where that is, on the back side of the wall here is the restroom, and then um, there are restrooms over there as well during the party we can use. But um, so glad to be here. You know, today obviously is Easter, and we celebrate and gather alongside other Christians around the world today to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified three days prior. And so it's a time for the church. It's time for Christians throughout millenniums to celebrate and rejoice the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's a foundational truth to Christians. It's literally what our whole faith is based upon. Without the resurrection, uh, Paul the Apostle would say our faith is made void. It's worthless. It's pointless um, because we're still dead in our sins. Jesus didn't have any victory over the penalty of sin. So if he didn't die, we don't have Christianity. But he did die and he did rise from the dead. And so there is much cause to rejoice and celebrate. And so that's why Easter in so many ways we would have a party or we'd have a celebration because we are celebrating and rejoicing our Lord's victorious resurrection from the dead and what that means for us that put our trust in him. And everything else, and I mean everything else, comes in second in the Christian faith to the death and resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Every issue, every theological matter, every problem that the world has, every issue that's ever been talked about comes in secondary to the truth that we celebrate today. I mean, it's that important and everything else is just secondary and we can deal with that. But, we, we, but the fact that Jesus died and rose again, that is the foundation, the bedrock, the cornerstone of everything that we believe in. And the reason why we can have joy and hope is because of this. Um, in the Bible, there's a lot of books. There's 66 of them. It can get really confusing. But there's four that are called the Gospels. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. And there's, there's four of them, and they're written by different authors detailing the life of Jesus, his teachings, his public ministry, and specifically his death and resurrection. That's why everything that we have informed about who Jesus is firsthand is in the Gospels. And what I want to do is I want to read uh, a section from the Gospel of Matthew this morning that tells us of the resurrection. It tells us of Easter Sunday, excuse me, it describes it. I have it on the PowerPoint screen from you. But this is Easter. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10 says, Early on Sunday morning, 
As the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb where Jesus had died. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there. Remember what I have told you. And the women, the women ran quickly from the tomb, and they were very frightened, but they were also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, and they grasped his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. It's an incredible account, incredible story of what Jesus did and what he did by rising from the dead. And if you're, you're visiting us this morning, maybe it's your first time and you're invited, first off, welcome again. Thank you guys for joining us. But if you're visiting this morning and you would not call yourself a Christian, like this is pretty weird that you're in a church building and you're like, I don't believe these things. Um, I want to speak to you for a moment. And I'm assuming you're coming for a couple of reasons. For one, it's probably just because you're just supporting your friend who asked you, right? Or, or it's because, you know, you were asked, and so, yep, I'll check it out, no problem, I'll, let's do it. Or it could be because you're, you're curious. But if you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you don't go to church, um, you may have a varied perception of us Christians and of the church, so to speak, in general. And you may even have, like, a really bad perception, Right? They're weird, they're critical, they're judgmental, they're hypocrite. I mean, across the board. I know I did before coming to know the Lord. Um, or you could be you know, different or open or curious, but I, I want to just speak to like, that elephant in the room for a second. Just to like, not make it weird for, for a moment, or not, just to speak to that. And I want to speak to the fact that like, as Christians, involving myself in that, have over time, in some ways, really tarnished or marred who God is. And what you think God is may not actually be true. We've just done a pretty poor job representing him. And I'd be the first one to lump myself into every Christian that's ever lived and said, we probably have not always given you the best idea of who God is and what he did because we've, uh, we've botched the delivery. Our lives and what we say don't match or the issues that we fight over aren't the main issues. And it's mainly due, you know, your perception of Christians or of church may be a negative one, mainly due to how we've wrongfully act or treated others over the course of the last 2,000 years. A lot of it comes from even the last few decades or even the last few years in America where there's just been tons of tension, right, between the church or Christians and those that aren't Christians. And I want to, like, point out that 
Christians are absolutely fallible, and they have many shortcomings, and if they say they don't, they're wrong. But also, I want to take a moment to apologize on behalf, and I know that that may or may not do anything for you, but I want to apologize for how Christians have negatively shown you Jesus, like his unconditional love and his unbelievable grace and mercy. And the fact that he actually came to save and not to judge. Like, I want to I apologize for the ways that you may have a wrong perception of who God is. Because if you've met a, a Christian, or if you have any uh, Christian friends or family members, or you grew up in the church and you have a negative um, connotation, that may just be them, and it's probably not who God truly is. And over, right, these, these topics, these subjects, these tension points that I'm talking about that Christians and non-Christians have collided over, they're really important for both parties' sake. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're core issues that affect people's lives and they're big parts of culture and they're big parts of humanity that we've, that we've collided over and they are important. But what might have happened is that it actually, those, 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 those issues, those critical parts of humanity may have taken the focus and the attention off what is of absolute importance. It's not that those things aren't important, but what is of absolute importance is Jesus' death and resurrection and the implications that has on humanity. Again, it's not that those other things are not important. They absolutely are. But what the most important truth that humanity could hear and know, and even more, how it applies to us, is the fact that Jesus died and rose again, and, it, and it, it's important, and it's for every man, woman, child, young, old, rich, poor, of every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's of absolute importance. And so I am so happy at another time to talk about everything from gender and race and sexuality and politics and the list goes on. I am so willing and happy to have that dialogue and have that conversation, but not now. Today, the only thing I wanna talk about is Jesus. His work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Because that is of utmost importance and all that other stuff, it's important, but not as. And I hope that you'll see that today. And if you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about. But what we just read in the Gospel of Matthew is actually a historical account. It's not made up. It's not allegory. It's not an illustration. It's literal and it's historical. And we have evidence that there's at least 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus' being alive after he was dead. We see Mary uh, here encountering. We see, we see them uh, being told by Jesus to go and tell others. But in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, Paul the apostle, once was a persecutor of the church, but encountered, uh, of the church, excuse me. He once hated Christians and persecuted Christians. He encountered Jesus. He had that conversion moment, that transformative moment, and he began to follow the Lord. And he penned this letter to the church in Corinth at the time, uh, which is it's modern-day Greece now. 
And he, he made the case that there was 500 eyewitnesses to seeing Jesus alive after he was dead and after he had been sealed and in a tomb that was guarded by Roman soldiers for three days, the risen Lord was seen by 500 eyewitnesses. And so Christianity or the Christian religion is actually not blind faith. It, it does require faith. Without evidence, that absolutely, it requires faith in God. But it's not blind faith. It's not completely based on something that we were told that's made up, that we just kind of kind of go with. It originated with 500 people seeing Jesus, touching, feeling, eating with him, seeing him living after he was dead. And the reason why that we're in this room right now, that, that you and I know about Jesus at all, is because Jesus' disciples and his followers, along with these 500 witnesses, went to the ends of the earth telling people about what had happened. Right? They had seen him perform all these miracles. They had heard his teachings, and they were great, and they were awesome. And he died on the cross, and they thought, well, I guess he wasn't really God. But then he rose again, and they all saw him. And some of his closest followers didn't believe, and so they literally had to touch his sides, feel the holes in his hands. And then they believed. And they went to the end of the earth to tell humanity the significance of it. And they were willing to give their life for it. I mean, that's, that's the story of Christianity, a persecuted religion, and people are willing to give up everything and die for the cause because they knew without a shadow of a doubt it was real. And now 2,000 years later, we sit on the most remote island chain in the world, almost as far as you can get from that tomb on Easter Sunday, and we're hearing about this truth. I'm sorry, but a myth does just not have that effect on the world. The same congruent story over 2,000 years, over different cultures, different ethnicities, different languages, does not have the effect that the gospel did if it's just a myth. And those of you that were brought or invited by someone today, that person that invited you is, is kind of like an eyewitness in some respects. And this is what I mean, right? We weren't at the tomb in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. We weren't one of the 500. But if you got invited today by someone, I'm assuming that person is a Christian if they're wanting you to come to a church service at, at a Christian church. But we're eyewitnesses in the fact that we have witnessed firsthand what God has done in our own lives, We've witnessed his love and his grace and his transformative work. Like, we were once this, this person and we met God and we're changed because of it and he's healed us and he's set us free and he's filled us with joy and hope and our lives have been completely changed by Jesus. Don't get me wrong, we're works in progress. We're works in progress and we mess up and we still fall. But if you got invited by a Christian, it's because they, in the same way, have witnessed God. They've witnessed him move. They, they had to believe at one point, like initially. Okay, I'm in. 
so to speak, or I believe, I trust you, Jesus. And over time, they have seen God work. They have seen and experienced his love and forgiveness and grace and peace and his joy, and it's changed our lives. And like myself, whether it's your coworker or your neighbor or your family member that told you to come here today, They're inviting you is a way of testifying about who Jesus is and what he's done. And the reason is, like, the the why, like, why someone would do that is that we believe this to be so true and so real that we've based our entire life upon it. Like it's everything for us and we've seen God move and it's so incredible and it's so important and it's available for everyone that literally you had your coworker or your neighbor or your family or friends say, please come because it's an attempt to have you hear the good news of Jesus Christ and, and, and believe and put your hope in him in the same way that we have. Like that's, that's the, that's the, the elephant in the room, that, like we want you to have fun and go like have an otter pop and, and jump on a bounce house and have food with us. Absolutely, let's celebrate, let's party. But we want you to know this so bad that we're willing to invite you and make it awkward. Like in like, hey, this maybe is gonna, you're gonna think I'm weird or like maybe this is gonna change our relationship or I don't want it to be weird at work now or family, but I'm willing to invite you. I'm willing to do those things and more because I so badly want you to know the good news that I have heard and I have trusted in. And that good news is John 3, 16 and 17, right? For this is how we know God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And it says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You have heard it from scripture. This is what God's intention for the world is. Not to judge, but to save. And the thing is, is us Christians and us people that invite you, we we don't get anything out of this. It's not like this weird, how many people did you get here type of thing that we talk about later. It's It's not like that. What we want you to know is that truth and this truth of who Jesus is. We're praying and we're hoping that you would believe and trust in him the same way that we have. Because we believe that God's intention for all of humanity was that we would be with him. Actually starts back, if you want to know, first first couple pages of the Bible in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It was perfect. Everything was great. Everything was good. There was no sin. There was no evil. There was no sickness. There was no pain. All that we feel in the world today, mostly when we turn on the news, was not there. It was perfect. It was good. And God was with his people. And then sin entered in. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They sinned. They went against his word. And what that did was it caused separation. Because of their selfish nature and rebellion to do whatever they, whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, it separated us, or separated them from God, and it's still perpetuating, or perpetuating to this day. Like it's perpetuated to us that we now have a sinful nature, and it's our nature to rebel against God and do whatever we want, when we want. It's a lot of life, right? Like, I mean, 
outside of church, it's like, hey, make money, have fun, have a good time, make sure you're happy, surround yourself with things that make you happy, get a family because you should, make this much money. That's it. But that's not God's intention. God's intention was that we would be with him and that we would be his people. But sin entered in and messed everything up. The book of Romans would tell us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, of his standard. We've all messed up. We're all, we're all guilty as charged, so to speak. There's not one person that is born and enters into this world now that it's free. Like, I'm good. I've never sinned. I've never rebelled. I don't need Jesus. No, we all have. We're all in that same boat. See, God is holy and he's sinless and he's perfect. And because we've sinned, we're now imperfect and we have a problem. We have a, we have a problem now. We can't just like, God, are you cool? Like, let's just be okay. We can't be in his presence now that we've sinned. We can't spend eternity with him. Sin has broken God's design and he's, it's caused separation. Because the book of Romans would go on to say the wages of what our own sin has caught cost, what it's accrued, is, the, is death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Because we've sinned, what we actually deserve, like the debt that we've accrued, is actually death. But the verse goes on to say, right, that's kind of like, wow, that's bad news. Romans 6, 23 goes on, says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God saw our plight and our fate, and he could not be without us. I mean, he, 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 he hated to be separated from his people, and so he sent the answer to pay our price and to pay our debt, so to speak. That answer is actually a person, and that person was Jesus. And this was like God's rescue mission. This was the way in which he was going to save all of humanity. And so what happened was that Jesus went to the cross, and he took our sin upon him, and he died, and he paid the penalty of sin. He gave his life to cover the debt of sin. He gave his life to cover our death. And here's what happened. It didn't stay that way. Easter Sunday happened. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And what that means is that he rose again, which means he defeated the power and the penalty of sin. Right? He paid the price, but then he rose again, defeating death's ultimate goal, or sin's ultimate goal, which is death. He did it. He rose again. He defeated sin and death and the power and the penalty of sin. But it gets better. Like, cool, Jesus, right on. But it gets better. He did it so that we could share this with him. He did it for us in order to forgive our sins. And he died in our place because we should have died. Right? We're the ones that sinned. We're the ones that caused the debt. He paid it for us. Because right? that's, how, that's how debt works. Like, you, you, you spent the credit card. There's your debt. Like, it's yours. You did it. 
In, in, a, in a larger way, sin had accrued this debt, and the only way to pay that debt was a death. And God said, not you, don't die. I'm going to send my son to die and pay your debt so that you no longer have that debt. Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to. He died to give us new life, a transformed and abundant life, and the promise and hope of eternal life. Because now, when we, when we put our hope in Jesus, when we trust in him, like many of you have in this room, when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin or your past failures or your rebellion or your sin, sinful independent nature. He sees Christ's finished work on the cross. And he sees you actually now as righteous, which is just so strange that, that we would ever be seen that way. But what God did is he exchanged our sin for his righteousness when Jesus died on the cross. And so what righteousness even means is a right standing. And so now we can stand before God in his presence blameless because our sins have been forgiven in Christ. And the greatest part about the death and resurrection for Je of Jesus, like I said, is that he offers it to us as a free gift God's word would say this. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like that's what it takes. But it says, for it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Right, so to be saved means that you, we are saved from the power and the penalty of sin. And this is a free gift that's offered to all of humanity. We're going to offer it to you today, like, like we are. You can have this at any moment, at any time. It doesn't have to just be at an Easter service. For me, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in California, and I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, parents weren't Christians. Family wasn't believers. Good friends were, and they took me, they invited to me, me to something like this, and I heard something similar, and I was about 12 or 13 years old at the time, and I heard this, and I, and I believed. I said, yeah, yes, like, I, I believe that is the truth. I believe that Jesus did that. I want to go to heaven. I want to know the Lord. I want my sins to be forgiven. Pretty much like, yeah, yes, I'm in, I'm in. But I remember vividly going up, and even at like 12 years old, I remember the first thing it said is, I want Jesus, but does that mean I have to go to church now? Like at 12 years old, I was like, I want nothing to do with church or Christians. That Jesus sounds really good, but at 12 years old, how did he even know anything? I think for me, just being a kid, like I don't want to go to a church on a Sunday morning. I want to like go to McDonald's and like play. Why am I going to a church? My family wasn't religious, we were not Christians, but I wanted Jesus, but I didn't want church or Christians. You know, I did the whole altar call, I came up front, uh, I prayed with people, but the ironic thing is, you know, the first thing I said is, I don't want to go to church. The ironic thing is, I started a church. I didn't, but you know, God threw me. I work at a church now, I'm surrounded mostly by Christians, like I'm a pastor. It's so ironic how God does it. But my, my point is that regardless of your perceptions today of the church or of Christians, regardless of your perception 
uh, you know, we've messed that up quite a bit. We may not have represented Jesus well. But instead of what you perceive to be true, let's think about what is true. Like, let's look at what Jesus did in Scripture and why he did it. And try to, if you can, cut away all your preconceived ideas of who God is and what he's about and his intentions and why he did what he did. Because the truth is, is that God was thinking of each and every one of us when he sent Jesus to the cross. Put your name in the blank. Put your name in the blank and God was thinking of you and he, when he sent his son to die for you and rise again. I want to invite the worship team back up here, and we're going to have some time of reflection and response and worship as we kind of end our time in here right now. But I want to give you time and opportunity to make this decision. And again, it's not necessarily like a decision in that you have to say these words and jump through these hoops and like, you're saved. It's believing in your heart and trusting that Jesus is who he said he was. But at the core of it, it's knowing, you know what, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've been living for myself. I've done whatever I want to do, when I want to do. By no means have been living by God's standard and God's word. And I don't even know anything about that. But it's recognizing and realizing that you need a savior. You cannot save yourself. But that, what it takes is stopping living for yourself and turning to the one who you were created to be with and asking for him to forgive your sins. And it really is actually as simple as that. It takes faith, it takes trust, and it's a process. But it takes that initial response. And if you want to think of it this way, like the truth has been presented to you or or what we believe to be the truth of who Jesus is and what he, what he said he did. And we want badly to invite you into that, for you to experience abundant life, a changed, transformed life here. And we want desperately for you to have the hope of heaven that you know because as you see, as bad as this world gets, you can have hope that this world is not it. That eternity with God is the point. It's the absolute most important point. And it's our decision now to trust and believe that Jesus is the only way or not this morning. Um, we have men and women in the back with little white lanyards on. And so during this time of worship, as we sing two or three songs, would love if you want to talk more, if you want to pray, if you want to make that decision. If you want to put your trust in Jesus, if you want to confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you want to be saved, you want to give your life to the Lord, we'd love to, to talk to you about there, back there and we'd love to give you a Bible and um, pray for you and share with you what that would mean. So anytime during this, these songs, you can do that. And maybe you're in here and you're a Christian today or you're a backslidden like we call Christian, or you're a Christian that used to be, or you used to going to church, and, or you used to believe, or you kind of believe, and you want to recommit your life to the Lord. 
You want to rededicate it or whatever word you would want to say it, but you want to make a mark in the timeline of your life. Easter 2018, I want to, I want to come back to the place where I used to be when I believed and followed the Lord. We'd love for, to hear from you as well, to pray. But we want to give you this opportunity and, um, to come and know Jesus in the way we did because he is worth basing your entire life on. He is not a myth. He's God's son that came and died on the cross and rose again, giving us new life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you sent your son to save the world, that it was your love that compelled you to do so because you are a God that wanted to be with us. And you paid the ultimate price by sending your son. You gave up what was most dear to you so that you could get us. Lord, we're humbled by your love and by your mercy and by your grace. That's an undeserved gift. We don't deserve it. But Christ, while we were yet sinners, that's when you died for us. Well, we thank you, God, that it's not about us cleaning our own lives up or you know, straightening ourselves up before we give our life to you, that you came to die in our mess, in our failures, in our rebellion. God, I pray over this time, I pray that we would worship you because you're worthy of it. You're magnificent and wonderful and amazing. And we pray, Lord, that you would get all the glory and all the credit today and that all of us, as we encounter Jesus, we'll put our trust and belief in you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.